Welcome to the State of Fem Art Podcast, a space where we drive conversations around what it means to be woman creatively and artistically in today's industry. A place where women from various walks of life share their experiences, triumphs, and obstacles as they navigate the state of the world and their creativity. This is a safe space. One where women are celebrated for being fearlessly and unapologetically them. It is a space of belonging for those who feel their artistic and creative endeavors have gone unseen, unheard, or unsupported. But here you will also get resources and tools to help you reach your next level. We'll laugh together, cry together, but more importantly, we'll grow together. I am Tamia Faulkner, and this is The State of Fem Art. On today's episode, I'm so excited to speak with someone who I've known for a few years now. Her story is so inspiring, so I hope you all glean everything you can from today's conversation. None other than Natasia Malay Hallo. How are you? Hi, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. For us to finally have this conversation because I think we've been talking about it for years. <laughs> yeah, we've been talking about it for a while. So can you tell um, our listeners what it is that you do a bit of your background? Yeah, so I'm in tech. Um, I started off mainly as a actually a patent specialist as an intellectual property specialist in Silicon Valley and then in Washington, D.C., and that eventually led me to start my own tech company, I think, working on other people's innovation. So I was, you know, when I was in Silicon Valley, um, we worked on applications for companies like Facebook and Instagram, and this is, you know, when they were pretty young, not the kind of companies that they are now, um, but really early on. And so I think being exposed to all of these great tech companies as they were starting up um, made me want to start my own company, which I eventually did. And so I um, dropped everything that I was doing. So dropped work. I, you know, kind of jumped around between different places to try to get my startup going. Um, My first company called Suligan ultimately failed, but in the learning process and also in the morning of that company um, failing, I started a new company called Wiser, and Wiser took off very quickly, um, grew really well. We raised about $2 million in funding, um, and then eventually that company was acquired, Wiser was acquired um, in 2020, and then by a company called Popcom, which is where I work now. I'm the VP of Business Development for Popcom, um, and it's been a journey since because there's just been a lot of even with the acquisition there was a lot of turmoil with that and so i've been kind of you know seen a little bit of everything i think in this journey but i'm i'm definitely i would say a techie as the short summary absolutely and i think we've spoken about this before one of the things that i truly admire about you and your work is that there is a lack of visibility for women in tech, especially women of color in tech. And I think when I first heard your story and came across this um, idea that you had with your initial company, Wiser, I just thought to myself how innovative that 
you were able to run with just what you conceptualized, what you wanted to do within tech. What was it like being a woman within that space and funding for your initial company? So I know you mentioned Suligan as well as uh, Wiser. Yeah. So with Suligan, you know, we were trying to build a social media app um, for college students. And um, that in itself was like really difficult to do as a as someone, you know, very early on because colleges have so much um, bureaucratic processes. And so um, that we raised about, I think about 30000 I would say, like about $35,000 in funding for that and was actually really, you know, we were able to make that, stretch that money pretty well. Like we were able to launch at three different college campuses. So we launched at University of Arkansas, LSU, and UC Berkeley, which is where I went to school. Um, and then ran out of money and then couldn't really do much after that because with the social media app, you definitely need funding. Um, but with Wiser, you know, things worked out very differently. Like the journey with Wiser was very different because we, um, were pretty successful from the moment we started, which I think is a sign that we were on the right track. And it was really what made it um, easy to keep going when things were hard was because you remember all of the times that, you know, things worked out. Um, so with Wiser, before we even had a name for the company, we already had our first paying customer. So the concept for Wiser was to make surveys fun. How do we make surveys fun? Well, you create games. And so, um, when we just had kind of had that simple idea and we pitched it to a couple of, uh, different, you know, businesses, everyone was like, yeah, sign me up. How much? And so I was just throwing out, you know, random dollars. Like I would be like a hundred dollars, <laughs> yeah. depending on what time you talk to me, depending on what time you talk to me, it was like a different price. Cause I was, I, I really had no idea. I had, you know, with Sulika, we never made any money at all. And so like, this was the first time we had actual real revenue and real customer paying customers. So depending on the day, like I would be like a hundred dollars, $200. And at, you know, I think at most, like I said, a thousand dollars and someone said, okay, cool. Like, here's my card. Send me an email. And I was just like, wow, you know, this is before we even had a name for Wiser. We had like six paying customers. We just knew that we wanted to make surveys that were fun. And surveys were such a hard thing for customers to do, you know, for brands and businesses to send out to their customers because, it's so archaic. It's so long. It feels tedious. A lot of people weren't completing surveys. And so the idea that, oh, you know, there was a startup that was going to make all of this really fun and gamified. People were willing to sign up even without seeing a proof of concept. Um, and so that journey, you know, it was very different. Um, we were able to raise money, a lot more money than we anticipated. I think our goal was like 200000 and we ended up raising $2 million for the company. Um, and so at the time, I would say that, you know, I thought everything was going very well. Um, and, you know, I was, I'm, I've always been a very positive person. So I'm, you know, I'm always uh, just really grateful and stay in a state of gratitude. So I just assumed that we were doing really well. Um, but now that I'm on the other side and looking back and I've had a lot of time to process for where I was at and where Wiser was able to go, um, I think because I was a woman, because I'm a woman of color, I definitely think that I didn't go as far as most startups that had the same successes. And I talked to the, with my CEO about this a lot, um, because Wiser was able to grow 
um, to over 2,600 customers. And these are businesses that are using Wiser. We had at one point, I think we had like 35 Fortune 1000 companies using Wiser. I mean, these are like, the, wow. yeah, the Googles, the, you know, Facebook, MasterCard, uh, T-Mobile, uh, Procter & Gamble, Disney. I mean, everybody that was a big brand was using Wiser at one point. And the fact that we didn't raise more money, that we didn't get, you know, more investors, investors, even when I went back with that type of traction, investors still wanted to see other things. Like, I think it really was either, you know, there was like, I mean, there was a lot of things at play, but looking back, you know, I think a startup that was run by, you know, maybe a white male would have definitely raised a lot more money with that traction than I did because, you know, I you see it in the in the news all the time, like starters with much less traction than Wiser had are raising 50, 60, 100 millions of dollars. Um, and we were like, and us raising that $2 million was actually very, very hard. And so, um, you know, and looking back, I, I do see kind of the, kind of the, um, the unfair, the inequality, I guess. But I think when you're going through the process, because there was so little that we saw, there was, you know, practically nobody else that was raising that much money as a woman of color, um, that you're just kind of grateful and you don't question it and you're just grateful for like the wins. But you, but now like, I, I definitely see like how unfair the marketplace was for towards us. That has to be, of course, frustrating, but I think speaking to the success that you were able to get even, you know, starting starting off and, and growing your company is more than you see for most women even, which is, you know, it's still sad, but at the same time, it's something to also look towards like, hey, I can I can do this too. So I have a two-part follow-up uh, question. The first being, what advice would you give to women in business, especially those in, in male-dominated spaces who experience failure, right? Because I think everyone sort of thinks starting a business is glamorous and there's so many perks and they see the amazing side, air quotes, <laughs> of entrepreneurship. Yeah. They don't see those hard moments. And I was so inspired by just reading your journey, especially with Suligan and uh, some of the things that were shared with you during that time that really gave you that push to just keep going. So what tips or what advice would you give those to those women in business who are growing but feel like, hey, this is a failed attempt or have failed businesses and don't know if they should keep going? Yeah, you know, there's so many things that were going through my mind as you were asking that question. And it, it's going to sound very cliche. But so the one thing is like, trust the process. Um, everything that you go through will help you with whatever it is that you're going to endure in the future. You know, you're constantly gaining new skill sets, constantly gaining new experiences, but also you're, you know, strengthening your ability to handle failures and you're strengthening your ability to handle rejection. And I think that was like the biggest thing that I learned through Suligan and then through Wiser, you know, with Suligan, it was such a hard failure. I mean, it, you know, I had never failed at, at, at anything, to be honest with you. Um, I was a, a straight A student, 4.0 student throughout my uh, 
my education. I graduated early from Berkeley when I was 20 years old. So, you know, I had never really experienced much failure, but then also I had never really done anything as hard as starting a company. And so that failure, when Sulegan failed, like it was very hard for me. I was very embarrassed. I assumed everybody was like criticizing me and thinking like, oh, she should have just stayed in law school. She should have just continued on become a lawyer, you know, like all of these things, but they're all really in your mind. And as I look back, and even now when I'm at PopCom, PopCom is doing something completely different than what Wiser was doing or even what Suligan was doing. But all of the skill sets and even like the failures that I went through with Suligan Wiser, I'm using all of it now. Like there are literally moments when I'm working on something or I'm in a meeting and I'm able to answer a question because of what I went through with Wiser or what I went through with Suligan. And so I'm, you know, I, I'm constantly grateful that I went through those experiences. A lot of them were very difficult experiences um, because they've really shaped the person that I am today, how I handle business, how I deal with people, how I develop relationships with businesses, other you know businesses. Um, and I'm always very sympathetic. In my role now, I lead a program called Pop Shop Local that is really focused on small businesses and because I was such a small business at one point where I was, you know, essentially a one man show, I feel like I'm very empathetic and very understanding about what entrepreneurs are going through as they when they meet with us. And, you know, they want to be in, in our machines, they want to work with us, but they don't quite have the resources, you know, and so I think even in the way that I um, communicate with them, even the way that I converse with them, I think, you know, it's because I'm very like empathetic because I went through the same thing. Like I went through different types of failures. I went through not having any money and wanting to do something, but knowing that you don't have the money to do it or the means to do it. And so I would just say, trust the process, be kind to yourself, give yourself grace, um, take time off. You know, I think burning out, burning out does more, like has more of a negative impact to your business than, you know, anything else that you could possibly do. Because when you burn out, all of a sudden, very easy tasks, like you don't want to do. And I think the biggest battle every day when you're running a business is actually working on the business, right? Like, it's much easier just to be like, Oh, well, I'm going to take a break today and then not work it work on it tomorrow or work on it tomorrow. Um, but I think like motivating yourself and giving yourself an opportunity to have small wins every day, it really creates the habit and it creates, you know, just like these long-term um, habits that help you continue to grow the business. Because ultimately as an entrepreneur, unless you're doing something for your business, your business is not going to move forward. Like no one's going to move the business. This is not, you know, this is not uh, Amazon where if they fire a hundred people, there's no impact to the company. But with a small business, if you're not putting anything into the business today, there is no output today. You know, like um, there's a lot that has to be done every day for a business to survive. And so I think just like making sure that you take care of yourself, take care of your mental health, I think is very, very important. Yeah, no, absolutely. And as a follow up to that, just hearing everything that you're saying, what uh, skills or what do you feel is most important for women to know, women founders to know when they are getting into the tech space and when they're um, getting to that point in their business where they are starting to funding, the funding process? Yeah, I would um, honestly say the one skill that I think I use the most and that has helped me the most 
is definitely my writing skills. So, um, and people don't think about this a lot, but as a business owner, you're constantly writing things, whether that's copy for your website, that's emails, that's a sales deck, that's a, you know, a pitch to investors, you're constantly writing things. And I think that um, because I started in the legal world, um, I was supposed to be a lawyer. Um, there's like statistics that show attorneys write more than authors. You know, they're constantly writing. Most of your work as an attorney is writing. Um, and so uh, I think that has become like my most used skill, most valuable skills, my ability to write you know, great emails, articulate my thoughts well, articulate our agreements well, and and do all of that. So I, I definitely think that if you haven't as an entrepreneur, and if you have a bandwidth in the time, take a writing class, because that really, you know, people uh, do business through emails now. And so um, their impression of you is really based on that first email. And so you're, that whether it's a cold email, it's an intro email from someone else, like people are judging you by your email. And I say that even now, you know, when someone sends me an email with a lot of grammar errors and punctuation errors, like literally in my mind, I'm like, ooh, this is probably not really a great business. Like that's my first judgment of this person because I'm like, if you're not right, you know, if you're not, you're not writing well, you're not taking the time to write a, a great message, then in this first email, I don't know how you're running your business. Like, I don't know what, what you're you know, doing in your agreements. And so um, I would say writing. Um, and then the second with like fundraising and investors, I definitely think um, having other entrepreneurs look at your deck and being really open to feedback. You know, people send, circulate documents all the time and ask for feedback. But then when someone gives you feedback, you know, I've met a lot of entrepreneurs that are like, oh, no, you just don't understand. Like, this is not, this is not, you know, this feedback's not relevant to me. Uh, but I think that being open to receiving feedback has also been one of my, I think, best assets, honestly. I mean, of course, as someone that ran a survey company, Wiser was a survey company, I had to be very open and, and have a great relationship with feedback. But um, I think being able to, like, take feedback well, whether that's critical, negative feedback, but take it well and just really take what's useful to you and leave, you know, what's not useful. Not obviously not every piece of feedback is going to be relevant or useful to you, but being able to handle it well, I think has also become a strong point for me. That's so awesome. And it's great that you mentioned feedback because I think that's something that's so important just within the business and creative space and within the um, art spaces, being able to grow and evolve. And I think the only way to do that is to get that feedback, whether it's from your customers, your those who utilize your products and services, or colleagues or mentors. Um, so I'm happy that you mentioned that. So how has it been? Because I think there's this stigma, right, that women cannot work together and women are catty. And I think it's amazing that um, you're getting the opportunity now to work with Don Dixon. And so I or didn't she recently get married? She did. She did. 
and I don't know her last name. So, I mean, her last name is very difficult. It's very difficult. So, yes, she is married. Yep, she just got married. Okay, because I was like, I, I, I know that's her maiden name, but I, I knew that she recently got married. So how has it been working with um, Dawn at Popcom? Yeah, you know, so Dawn and I were actually really good friends before we started working together. I was actually an advisor to Popcom while I was a CEO at Wiser. So I know, you know, I've watched her grow the business from the very beginning. And I was always very just um, impressed and kind of, to be honest with you, obsessed with how she was running her business. So she ended up crowdfunding for Popcom, and which just means that she was able to raise money from un, like uh, unconventional investors. So normally, you know, you had to be an accredited investor to invest in tech. But when the laws changed around that, and it allowed regular people to invest into tech companies, um, she was one of the first people to do it and she raised millions of dollars that way. And so, um, you know, essentially regular, you know, non-traditional investors have, you know, own ownership in Popcom, which is really great because when Popcom wins, all of these regular investors would win as well. Um, if you look at any of the margins, like of investors that invested in the Ubers, you know, the Facebook, like, you know, I think I saw a list where someone invested $25,000 into Facebook, or no, into Uber, I would say, um, that $25,000 is now worth, I think, like $5 million, um, maybe even more than that, you know, someone that invested uh, like $50,000, like, or $100,000, that money is now worth like $25 million. So, you know, these are things that are available to accredited investors, but it has traditionally been very difficult for regular people to get in on that. Um, and it, of course, it's, you know, to protect, uh, protect people, protect the general public. But I mean, if you're letting people buy $1,000 cell phones, you should let regular people, you know, invest $250 in a tech company if they want to, you know, absolutely. Um, and so, and so she was, you know, she had raised like millions of dollars from regular uh, non-traditional investors. And I thought that was really cool because I was like, you know, if Popcom does really well, if it becomes a unicorn, I mean, think about the impact. Like now all of a sudden you have all of these people that now their investments become, you know, 25x, 100x what they invested. Like they, that could really be meaningful. I mean, that could be the difference between the down payment of a house, you know, for their family. And so, whereas before they would have never been able to afford a house, you know. And so, like, there's so many things. Like people are always thinking about the big wins for an investor, but like if you really think about it, you know, their investment in Popcom could just become their return on Popcom could become uh, an investment for a new business, you know, for a home. Um, and so, or an education for their children. So there's all kinds of things that I think um, what Dawn was doing that I was very interested in. And so when the opportunity to join her team, I was like, yes. And I think like that has made everything so much easy um, in terms of just working with Dawn, um, not just Dawn, but there's other women leaders, like the head of our software is a woman, the head of our customer experience is a woman. Um, so the H head of HR is a woman. And so um, there's a lot of really amazing women, but I think we're all united with this vision of like, hey, we're doing something very different. Popcom is very different from other tech companies because of the way our investors look and the opportunity that presents to us. And um, Dawn made a, she was on the Breakfast Club, I think a couple, like a year ago or so. And she made the statement that 
I want to be, I want to have the single biggest um, liquidation event for black and brown people. And she absolutely has the ability to do that because of the way that she fundraised for the company. And so I think, you know, that takes away all of the cattiness that takes away all of the, um, the, you know, the, the argument that you normally see, I think, um, when, when you have, and that was something that I was also very mindful and worried about because I'm like, Hey, I've been a CEO for so long for like almost 10 years. Now I'm joining a company as an employee. Like, what would that look like? And honestly, like there has been no, we've never had any internal issues or battles. Um, I'm very happy to be out of fundraising, you know, as a, as the CEO, that's predominantly like your main task is to, to fundraise, raise money, you know, keep investors happy. And that was often the most stressful part of being a CEO. So I think as like the VP of business development, on the other hand, you're really getting to do business things, which I think is like the fun part of running a, a startup is getting to do all the innovation, getting to talk to customers, getting to actually execute on the big goals. And so, um, you know, I let her just do the stressful stuff and I basically do the fun things. No, that's so dope. I I have gotten a chance to follow Don's uh, journey as well from flat out of hills and also saw that Breakfast Club interview, which was so inspiring. So I'm always inspired by you both. I want to know what has been the most pivotal moment of your journey thus far? Yeah, you know, I would definitely say... Um, joining Popcom as an employee, you know, I was very concerned about going into another startup. I mean, it's one thing, you know, founders that want, that leave kind of the startup world and go into corporate world and, and work for a big company. Like you see that a lot. And, um, I, and there's always a, an adjustment, uh, period. And, and most don't stay there long. Like I, you know, I know a lot of friends that ended up going and work for uh, Procter and Gamble, for Unilever, for some of these big companies um, in their innovation departments. And they don't end up there for very long because they just, you know, they're not used to working a regular nine to five with all of these like, you know, uh, kind of structured expectations. And so, but for me, it was like going into another startup, like, where you're used to doing everything, like would I be okay just doing one thing or, you know, one role? And um, I was a little concerned about that. But I think like once I was in Popcom and kind of ha realized that I had just as much freedom to work on the things and th that I'm passionate about and I and really just focus on that, um, I stopped myself and thought, why didn't I do this sooner? And I think it was like letting go of the pride and the ego, you know, when you're a CEO or when you're the founder of a company. I think I I should have probably did this sooner. I probably would have saved myself more, you know, grief and a headache. And honestly, um, in terms of just career development, I think I would have learned more had I just stopped um, and left Wiser when I, you know, earlier um, because towards the end of Wiser, I just felt like I wasn't learning anymore. I wasn't enjoying the work anymore. I was basically just running the company because I felt like I had to, you know, um, I was doing the same things over and over. Um, and I just kind of felt like I had to, like, you know, everyone expected me to continue. And what other role could I possibly be in if I was 
wasn't a CEO, you know, I, I just didn't think I would be happy in any other role. But now that I'm on the other side, I'm like, oh my gosh, I should have really like gotten over myself sooner because um, what I'm doing now is really what I'm passionate about. I feel like I'm learning something new every single day. So that in itself is making me happier. Um, you know, I, I just published a blog and in my blog, I talked a lot about my depression and a lot of it, I think, stemmed from just being super unhappy with the work that I was doing at Wiser. I mean, you know, it was like, it wasn't challenging anymore. It wasn't innovative anymore. I mean, it wasn't innovative anymore because we didn't have funding anymore. And so we were running on just our own revenue. And when you're running on your own revenue, um, there isn't so, you know, you can't do any more research and development. You can't innovate anymore because you don't have the money for it. And so um, kind of, I think what I would have done differently, I would have probably just like stopped thinking about what other people thought and, you know, gotten over like, the fear of being in a different type of role that some may consider lower than my previous low role, but honestly, I'm doing way more and I'm learning way more. So it's definitely, I think, a step up. Again, I'm so inspired by your journey and your story. And if people haven't read the blog, they need to, because when I first read your blog, I was so inspired and just brought to tears because you see that you're not alone in your process that you know you you also see the spirit of resilience through the words that you wrote and so I think your journey is incredibly inspiring and you know motivates other women to just keep going no matter what so I really really appreciate your time today and Thank you for for coming on the show and speaking about your journey how can people get in contact with you or follow you yeah so um thank and thank you so much to me I really appreciate that that blog was years in the making and I definitely did not want to put it out uh I still don't every day I feel like I'm <laughs> glad you did it was necessary thank you. I appreciate it every day I'm like I wake up I'm like should I deactivate this blog but um but so I, I really appreciate that well so there is my blog um I go by the same handle on all of my social media which is love Natasia. Um, and then I have a blog now, lovenatasi.com. Um, but yeah, feel free to reach out. Um, any, any of those means would work. <laughs> and again, you guys have to read the blog. So inspiring. Thank you so much, Natasia. I really Thank appreciate you. your time. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the State of Film Art Podcast. You can catch new episodes bi-weekly on Thursdays. And make sure that you connect with us by following us on Instagram at SoFilmArt. And you can also visit our website and listen to past episodes at SoFilmArt.com.